This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We hope you're enjoying the Mutual Audio Network. Stick around, there's much more to come. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. They say the quality of mercy is not strained. Now, it may very well be that I have a less than perfect understanding of just exactly what a certain hack writer who shall remain Shakespeare meant by that. Lord knows it wouldn't be the first time. When I was 15, I was nearly expelled over an uncontrollable fit of hysterics prompted by the question, Whom would Fardles bear? But on this subject, I can only hope that old Bill was being ironic on at least five or six levels, or else he had different neighbors than we did, that's for darn sure. Because in the big bad city that Trixie and I called home, both the quality and quantity of mercy were strained well past any appreciable breaking point, and routinely threatened to snap back and sting your fingers like a bored kid with an elastic band in English class. But enough about me. It started, as most things did, with the girl detective and I behind our respective desks, each silently trying to find a way to blame the other for the fat lot of nothing that had transpired up to that point. That point, in this case, being the moment just before all hell broke loose. Though in this case, the event in question was no more dramatic than the sudden flinging open of the grey-green door that bore the optimistic phrase, Justice and Dixon, Private Investigations, and a small, sweaty man appearing quivering with excitement. Our old pal Freddy the Finger had come to call. Well, just when the skies couldn't look any more grim... Oh, hello, Miss Trixie. Salutations to you as well. I don't know who taught you a great big word like that, but if I were you, I'd get my money back. I don't understand. And once again, you have illustrated my point admirably. I have? With gusto. Well, thanks, Miss Trixie. That's awful nice of you to say. Isn't it just... For Pete's sake, Trixie, let the little fella up for air, would ya? What? Drowning. Now there's an idea. Why did I never think of that? What? Freddy. What? Coffee. It's completely ruined with milk and sugar, just the way you like it. Oh. Thanks, Jackie boy. Much obliged. Indeed. Pull up a chair, if you like. Where? Well, it doesn't look like Mighty King the Crime-Busting Dog has the smallest intention of vacating the best chair. You can flop on the old couch, if you like. On the, uh... Or, if you prefer to live dangerously, you could try and take Trixie's chair... She's got a faraway look in her eye. Hmm? Oh, sorry. I was lost in a beautiful dream world. Did you bring me back anything? Yeah, a monogrammed bullet. Hold still while I deliver it. Real nice. What does he want, anyway? Who? Your friend with the blank expression and the personality to match. Why don't you ask him? I tried speaking directly to him. It didn't work out so well for me. So what's on your mind, Frederick? And we use the term in the loosest possible fashion. Are you two just about finished? I make no promises. Can I interest you in half a sandwich? What kind? Cheese. What kind? Swiss. Is it any good? If it was any good, I would have eaten both halves, wouldn't I? It's an interesting point. What is this, high tea? 
Would you like some biscuits and clotted cream? Is there? No, there isn't any. Are you still here? What's eating her? I think she might have had her eye on the rest of my sandwich. You shut up now. Wow. I gotta say, Jackie, I didn't think you'd be this calm. I pride myself on a certain zen approach to the art of detecting. Oh, sure. But you're still calm anyway. Did I miss a meeting? Why are you asking me? Giddy optimism. Yep. You're one cool customer. That's all I can say. Freddy. Yeah? What in screaming blue heck are you talking about? Well, I mean, I come in and I tell you that Mick Parker's been shot. Mick Parker? Shot? Sure. And the law's hanging around Mick's place in case he wakes up to make a deathbed statement. Deathbed? Because you know Mick and his brother Teddy. They ain't been the best of pals in... Well... Ever. Tricks, throw me my hat. Not without me, you don't. And and still, you're just as calm as a cucumber. Let's go, move! Hey, stupid, walk the dog for me, would you? Hmm? Oh, sure thing. Yes, sirree, Bob. You are one cool customer. That's for sure. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Mick Parker and his brother Ted were a couple of swells that were well-known in the not-at-all-rarefied circles in which Jack and I traveled. They knew just about everybody and liked almost as many. The big exception was reserved for each other, and it had been as far back as I knew. Jack swore it wasn't always so, but no one knew what to do about it, and as far as I knew, no one tried. Mick was the older brother. He was also the shorter, rounder, balder brother, but who's counting? They tried their hands at just about everything over the years, mostly within the bounds of what was nice and legal, but they weren't fanatics about it. Mick had settled down into the honest life of a bail bondsman about eight or nine years ago and threw old Square John and I a case now and then. Ted showed no sign of such ambition or any other to speak of and occasionally slept on our office couch. He was like the big kid who'd never grown up and it was never going to at this point, but it was impossible to hold it against him. Or at least, I never wasted much energy trying. I sometimes wondered if the way Teddy bought his way out of jam after jam with a boyish grin wasn't part of what stuck in the craw of his more responsible brother, but there had to be more in back of it than that. The point is, as we pulled on our hats and heard the smoke glass window and the door rattle behind us as we left, there were two thoughts foremost in our minds. One, that a good friend was laying somewhere with a bullet in him. Second, that another friend was just about the only man in the world that hated him enough to have put the bullet there in the first place. Where are you going? What? Don't make with a routine, Costello. There isn't time. Mick Parker's place is on McKay. Doesn't sound like there's much that we can do for Mick. What are you saying? I'm saying that we ought to be looking for Ted. Ted? You're out of your mind. Tell me it wasn't the first thought that crossed your mind, wondering if Ted pulled the trigger. The way those two went at it, maybe it was just a matter of time. Stop talking now. Fine. So you're the only man in the world that never gave that a moment's thought. Does that really help, Teddy? For crying out loud, even Freddy the Finger put two and two together. He even came up with four for once. You think so? Do I think Ted did it? I don't know. Do I? Mickey's a bail bondsman. Puts him in contact with some dangerous types. And his past isn't exactly squeaky clean. And we both know that it's usually not a stranger. It's usually somebody close that pulls the trigger. And the fact that we don't like it doesn't make it less so. So? So? If Lieutenant Sabian's got an estranged brother on the board, what do you think the odds are that he's going to break a sweat looking for other suspects? And right now he's at Mick's place waiting for the deathbed statement he can use to hang Ted. You don't think that's worthy of our attention? All right, you sold me. That's good, because if that conversation took much longer, we'd be there already. Jack? What? You think he did it? 
I don't know. I didn't know much. I didn't know if Mick was still alive or if his brother pulled the trigger. Heck, at this point, I couldn't swear on a stack that the whole thing wasn't some fever dream that Freddy'd had after eating something expired. But from the sound of things, I was due to lose at least one of my oldest pals this afternoon. I sure hoped that the Count would stop there, but I wasn't about to protect Ted if he was guilty. And that's what had my gut churned up in knots as I pulled my old heap to a halt in front of Mick Parker's place. It was that sick feeling that I get when the old bulldog fate is about to make Jonathan J. Justice her chew toy once again. We threw open the door beside the glowing neon sign that marked Mickey's place of business and breezed past at least two protesting bluecoats as we made for the door that led to the living quarters above. A third bull moved to put the squeeze on us, but a nod from a unusually grim Sergeant Nelson stopped him in his tracks. Nelson regarded the girl detective and myself for a half a minute in silence and then nodded us towards the door. Clearly, our arrival was expected, if not exactly anticipated. Brother, exactly what I don't need. Don't make with that banter, Sabian. No one's in the mood. You don't like the tune, Dixon. You can take your act back on the road. This dance hall is mine, and that's just the way it is. Mick. Mick. How is he? Stop it. You know exactly how he is. Don't sugarcoat it too much, Lieutenant. You both know if it's anything but the worst, you see fewer cops and more doctors. When did it happen? Three, maybe four hours now. The wife found him when she walked in. The place was smashed up pretty bad. A robbery? If it was, it was the strangest i ever seen. Look over here, down the hall. Is that broken bottles? Yeah. A bourbon, a scotch, and a vodka. All hurled against the wall at a target that was moving right to left. Why not left to right? Clear shards were on top of some of the others. The vodka was the last to go. It was also mostly full by the look of things. What are you two on about? Call me crazy. I thought I might do a little detecting while I'm playing Grim Reaper. Well, stow it, would you? It won't do you any good. Oh, it won't, won't it? Barker had a thirty-eight in his desk drawer. There's a poker in the corner and about a dozen genuinely lethal blunt and edged objects within easy reach. But instead of grabbing any of them, he emptied out the bar at whoever was coming up the hall and saved the heaviest bottle for last. If it's a burglar, you think he really tries to spare the booze? So what? And whoever it was kept coming. See? The vodka bottle's the closest to the bar. Sabian, what's the point of all this? The point is that whoever took that barrage was somebody that Mick Parker didn't mind hurting and didn't mean to kill. He may have assumed they felt the same way, and it looks to me like this time he was wrong. And if all of that proved a thing, you wouldn't be sitting here waiting for Mick to point the finger from the grave. Is that the problem? I shouldn't want a little hard evidence instead of a pocket full of mumbles when this thing goes to trial? I tell you what... If it was me, I'd want to make sure that whoever got me got his. That's what we all want, Vic. But it's real easy to construct a case if you think you know the answer before you get started. You two working for Ted Parker? And there it is. Lieutenant! Shut up, the pair of you. He moved. Doc, did you see him move? Mick! Mick, can you hear me? Down, Justice, and I mean now. Where's that stenographer? Mr. Parker, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Do you know your name? Sabian. Quiet. Do you know your name and your address? Michael Parker. Twenty. Twenty-two. McKay. Mr. Parker, are you aware that you've been injured? That you have no hope of recovery? Yeah. Yeah. Dick. Stow it, Dixon. This is the law. Parker. Parker, can you still hear me? Who did this to you? Parker, who shot you? Ted. Your brother, Ted Parker? 
Parker. Parker! I'm sorry, Lieutenant. He's gone. Well, there it is. There what is? Don't get cute, Dixon. He named his brother Ted, and that's about as neat and tidy as these things ever get. But they still carry the full force of law, and you know they do. So I'll repeat my question. You two working for Ted Parker? No. You know where he is? No. You get any bright ideas on that subject, I expect a call. And I don't mean when it's convenient. As of right now, Edward Parker is wanted for murder. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. And there it was. Jack was strangely silent as we left Mick's place. No diatribes against the bull-headed ways of Sabian. No crazy schemes hatching in that mostly empty coconut. The light behind those gray eyes had gone out and left his expression cold as stone. I had a feeling that he wasn't going to make the best company, and I was in no mood to cajole him. We were only eight blocks from the not-particularly-stylish personal lair of the girl detective, so rather than get in the sullen one's car for a lift back to the office, I gave myself the rest of the day off and sashayed down the street, my thoughts somewhere far away. But just past the hot dog stand on the corner, I was pulled back to earth by a familiar voice. Trixie! Hey, Trixie! Ted, what in blazes are you doing standing around here? Can't you guess? There's been a little too much guessing today for me. Quick, walk with me, and try not to look too much like we're getting as far away from here as possible. Why? Where are we going? As far away from here as possible. Is Mick... Yeah. And they think that I... They do. They really do. Cut down here, it's quieter. Are they basing that on anything, or do they just like me on spec? Mick named you, Ted. He what? He named you. Just before he died. He did? And Lieutenant Sabian came up with a nifty little supporting theory with some bottles empty and otherwise. But for all his sleuthing, there was only one thing he didn't notice. What's that? There were two glasses. One by the bar, another on the kitchen table down the hall. And you've been drinking, Ted. You've been drinking a lot. What makes you say so? Because you don't seem drunk at all. And the only time you don't seem drunk at all is when you're completely pie-eyed. You want to tell me about it? What? A man can't have a drink or ten with his own brother? Stop it. The last time the two of you had a drink together, it must have been formula. You've been cats and dogs for as far back as I can remember. Now, you want to tell me about it? There's nothing to tell. This is about the last chance you've got, Peaches. I'm about the only friend you've got in the world right this second, and even I think you did it. If you've got a song that says otherwise, now's the time to sing it. I've got nothing. I went over to Mix. There was nobody there. I helped myself to a drink, and then I helped myself to a few more for good measure. I settled down at the kitchen table to wait. I guess I'd had a few too many, because the next thing I remember, it was two hours later, and the place was tossed pretty bad. There were broken bottles down the hall, and at the end of the trail, there was Mick. I thought he was dead. I lost my head. I was still in pretty bad shape. I ran. He didn't run very far. He was my brother. I guess that makes a certain amount of sense. You weren't exactly thinking straight, either. What does that mean? True or false, your alibi actually makes you look more guilty. I am guilty. You shot your brother? I... I must have. You carry a gun these days, Ted? Well, sure. Give it to me. What? You honestly think I can't take it from you? Here. Nice little thirty-two. You could clean this thing once in a while, you know? I'll make a note of it on my cell wall. It's been fired. I know. Doesn't mean you pulled the trigger. Cops should do a paraffin test on your hands. I can't go to the cops, Trixie. Not like this. You think a paraffin test would stand up against a deathbed statement? Maybe not. Maybe not. 
And since the best I can offer when they ask me if I shot Mick would be, I don't know, I don't think I'd get too far. Maybe not. Maybe not. You gonna take me in now? Maybe not. Maybe not just yet. I have one small problem with your story. What's that? It stinks. You might be a little dodgy, Teddy, but you aren't exactly a master criminal. There's a solid deadbolt down at street level. There's no way you got cute with that, which means you had a key. So what if I did? And you let yourself in, got drunk as lord while you waited, passed out at the kitchen table, got up, fought with your brother, shot him, and then walked down the hall to the kitchen and passed out again in the same chair? It's pretty stupid. I never thought of that. The benefits of mostly sober deduction, kid. So, for the last time, what were you doing at Mick's place? The office was locked up when I got back, and King was dozing happily in the red leather chair, having been spun round the block a few times by an obliging Freddy the Finger, who had left a note to that effect, pushed the spare key through the mail slot, and helped himself to a spare ten spot that I kept in my desk drawer for emergencies, of which he clearly supposed this to be one. I was sick at heart, and there only seemed one reasonable course, which was for the rest of my body to join my heart as quickly as possible. I opened the office bottle and threw the lid across the room, where it rolled under a radiator that hadn't seen much dusting since before the war, and I mean the Crimean. So there was nothing for it now. Half an hour later, I was already beginning to vibrate slightly, though I was nowhere near forgetting why I had started drinking in the first place, which had been the point. The telephone jangled. It was Trixie. She told me she'd found Teddy in what she knew, asked what I thought. I said I didn't know, but if she wanted to bring him down to our stylish offices, we could kill a little more of the clock before making the call to Sabian that we all knew was inevitable. And then I had another drink. Though possibly two, it's hard to say. I don't know when Angie walked into the room exactly. It was the perfume that hit me first, with a gentle slap that said, Sit up straight, son, like a nun with a ruler. I looked up at her, standing in the open doorway. It had been a couple of years, but you'd never have known it to look at Angie Parker. She was still a dish, and she still knew it. There might have been a pound or two extra here and there, but it looked good on her, and augmented the curves that screamed trouble from across the room. It was the first time I had really thought about Mick Parker's freshly minted widow, but her statuesque shadow had been hanging over all of us all day. It had taken Angie to come between Mick and his brother, to turn two peas in a pod into strangers and set them down the path to today's Cain and Abel routine. And as my eyes met hers and dropped down to take in the full length of her with a lingering coldness that only six bourbons could supply, it occurred to me that there were probably worse causes. Hello, Jack. Been a long time. It has. It really has. Hasn't been ever just yet, and that was the requested period of absence. Oh, Angel, I was angry. Yeah, I remember. I'm beautiful when I'm angry. Same old Angie. Same old Angie. Grief looks pretty good on you, too, kid. Casual, but good. No widow's weeds. Give me a little time to go shopping. I'm glad you waited. I wouldn't have bought it anyway. Same old Jack. Same old Jack. Tell me something, Angel. What's that? How does someone that's done as many genuinely lousy things as you work up the moral high dudgeon to look down at me for this long? You liked my games once upon a time. Once upon a time you weren't a married woman. I'm not a married woman anymore. Forgive me if I don't express surprise to find you back on the market so soon. But you and I both know you were never really off. Are you going to offer me a drink or just insult me on the doorstep? No, oh, come on in. I can always sweep up again later. You try and play cold, Jack. 
but I see the way you look at me. And it's just exactly the way all the others look at you. And you figure that makes me just like all the rest. Oh, Angel, I know better than that. That why you married Mick? When was the first, last, or any time in between that you wanted to marry me? I didn't. Looking over my shoulder every minute of every day seemed like a little too much exercise. Here. Thanks. I hear you were at the apartment. You hear right. I hear that Mickey named his brother. He did. I hear they haven't found Teddy yet. Your hearing is excellent. First rate. Is that what you came for? Is there a shoe about to drop anywhere? Jack... Are you working for Ted? Who put that bright idea in your head? No one. I just thought... That I might like to make a fast buck as long as one of my oldest pals was dead. That you might want to help another of your oldest pals in his darkest hour. Well, it's a little theatrical, but it's a nice idea. What if I did want that? Does the grieving widow cry for vengeance? Oh, stop with that grieving widow business. We both know I don't have the chops for it. Maybe I'm not put together for those kind of feelings... It doesn't mean I didn't love my husband. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it still doesn't explain why you darkened my door. You wanted to know about Ted. Why? I want you to help him, Jack. Find him and help him. Is that right? Sure, that's right. The quality of mercy is not strained. I don't understand. Me neither. I helped Ted. Who helps Mickey? Mick is dead. And Teddy's just a kid. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He did. Stop it, Jack. Don't play the moral guardian around people who know better. We both know who came between Mick and Teddy. In some ways, what happened is my fault, even if it was long ago. I couldn't live with myself if I brought both brothers to ruin. Oh, you've got to find Ted, Jack. Find him and help him get away. All right, kid. I'll find him. Oh, thank you, Jack. And when you find him, I'd like to see him one last time. To let him know that I forgive him. It might mean something to him. Yeah. Yeah, I think it might at that. You're good, kid. You're very good. What are you talking about? It was the introduction of self-interest. It almost made me swallow it. Help poor Teddy, Jack. I can't live with the guilt. You're horrible. My husband is dead. My husband is dead, Jack. Be kind to me. How quickly she embraces those widow's weeds after all. What are you saying? Where did you go after you found the body? Who says I went anywhere? You were conspicuously absent when I arrived. Sabian said you made the call. I did. You call from the apartment? Bearing in mind that's the sort of thing I can check with a couple of calls once I sober up. I called from the drugstore on the corner. Why? I couldn't. I, I couldn't just stay there with him. With Mick? Who else? Maybe I just wondered if Ted was still passed out on the kitchen table. You've talked to Teddy? No, but you know that sounded right, don't you, kid? Stop it, Jack. Don't talk crazy like In this. all the years you've known me, Angie, I've never talked crazy where murder is concerned. Is that why you really came down here? To make sure I was staying out of it? Or did you really want me to help find Ted for you? So you can forgive him? Yes, of course. Maybe the bulls get a tip-off where and when that Ted-a-Ted is going to take place, yes? I told you. You told me the same pack of lies you've told me and every other man that laid eyes on you since you were 16 years old. You wouldn't know the truth if I sat down and forced it down your pretty little throat. Stop it, Jack. Try this one on for size. Ted Parker was still nuts for you. 
in spite of how you broke his heart, in spite of the fact you were his brother's wife. He blamed Mick for all of that. You gotta walk. And it was only a matter of time before you turned your eye back to him. Shut up! And he was just dumb enough to fall for it again. Yes, he was. He'd have looked you up and down and licked his chops and swallowed whatever line you sold him. But it was complicated, wasn't it? Mickey might have overlooked your indiscretions, but it would be different where the prodigal brother was concerned, wouldn't it? And Ted would never let you go a second time. And you're not the kind that likes her prowling privileges revoked, are you? You're a beast! I hate you! I've heard that song a hundred times, sister, and from better singers than you. I don't know what did it in the end. Maybe you needed mixed money, maybe you just wanted out. Maybe there was another boyfriend... That's got the reek of truth to it, doesn't it? Ted, please, don't do this. Try this on for size. You tell Teddy to come over to the house. You give him a key, you tell him Mick will be away. Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the hundred and first, doesn't matter. You knew Mickey'd be home, and you knew he'd lose his mind. My guess is you didn't know who'd kill who, and you didn't much care. Maybe you'd get lucky, and they'd finish each other off. In any case, the law would get the survivor off your back, and you'd be free as a bird, wouldn't you, kid? Just the way you like it. What if I did, smart guy? What if I did? There's no law against any of this. Maybe not. Maybe not. But you didn't count one thing. Mickey was late. Ted got full of bourbon waiting and took a little nap. Mick got home, found his brother dead drunk, and got in a similar state with the scotch. Sabian had the nuances down, but didn't know their preferences. You walked in and found one very drunk boyfriend and one very angry husband. Ever the pragmatist, he pitched the two empty bottles at you before following up with the vodka you hadn't been around to drink yourself. You took matters into your own hands, grabbed Ted's thirty-two, and took care of business yourself. You circled the block a few times, waiting for nature to take its course, and called the cops from the drugstore. But when you got home, you had a little problem. Mick wasn't quite dead yet, and Ted had thoughtlessly woken up and staggered out, taking the murder weapon with him. That's why you made yourself scarce when the cops showed up to set up camp. You couldn't risk Mickey spilling the beans with his last breath. And then suddenly there it was. The ever-elusive quality of mercy. In spite of everything you'd done, Mick Parker still loved you. With his dying breath, he saved his murderer and damned his own brother. What do you think, kid? Will it pass? You can't prove any of this. I'm a private detective. I'm not in the proof business. In the face of a deathbed statement, reasonable doubt is a pretty good day's work. Sit down. Your boyfriend's on his way here, and I doubt he'll second his brother's vote for mercy. I'll just ring Lieutenant Sabian, and we can all have tea and cookies together. Jack! Jack, you can't do this! You can't do this to me! So, you're the one that this is being done to. There's the quality of mercy I remember. What are you saying? Jack, please! Same old Angie. And that was how it went. By the time Ted Parker and I had made it back to the office, there was quite the contingent of flat feet waiting for him, all surrounding a certain red-eyed dragon lady. Sabian had that look in his eye that reminded me why I never became a cop. His open and shut case had just become anything but, and Angela Parker's lawyers would have a field day with Mick's deathbed statement. She might never serve a day. We entered the story too late to help Mick Parker at all, and we hadn't served the cause of law and order that much. But Ted was a free man, and that had to count for something. It was a funny thing, though. I asked him about it, and he just shook his head. My own brother pointed the finger at me, Trix, he said, and I wasn't sure that he wasn't right. Maybe that tells a man everything he needs to know about himself. 
As I watched him walk away, I knew that this was one thing Ted Parker wouldn't be able to buy his way out of with a boyish grin. And maybe that was a small mercy after all. It was a heck of a price to pay, but it was something. Blackjack Justice, episode 31, Small Mercies, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices provided by Peter Nickel, Brian Vaughn, Patty Rosenbank, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hi, I'm Persephone Rose, executive producer for Postal Roach and the creator of Emperor Pigs. I'm a huge fan of audio drama, and if you're listening to this right now, I've got a sneaking suspicion you might be too. So make sure your headphones are plugged in tight, because you're going to want to hear this. From July 24th through the 26th in 2020, producers, directors, composers, writers, actors, technicians, and fans of audio drama are gathering together for the world's first international modern audio drama convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is going to be amazing. If you like panels, there's going to be panels. Workshops, they've got them. Studio sessions, swag events, live performances, and most importantly, all your favorite creators are going to be there. You can get all the details and purchase your tickets online at www.madcon.com. That's M-A-D hyphen C-O-N dot com. See you at MadCon. <laughs>